It's Thursday, May the 7th. We're studying 2 Peter. We are in verse 10 today, at least half of it. Let's take a look at the context. Remember where we've been. The topic, of course, is false teachers, as you remember. We had all these dependent clauses that started in our English text with if, and the way that God had judged the unrighteous and saved his people in the midst of all that. And then we ended with this great reminder that the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. That was verse number nine. And to keep the unrighteous under punishment, that's the day that's coming. It's so sure that it's stated as though it's here already. And then we have verse 10. This is our verse today, verse number 10. And especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Now you'll notice right here, we have a brand new paragraph starting with bold and willful. Uh, and they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones, and then comma, and on goes the sentence. So what's with this here? We've got a, a division here that uh, doesn't seem to follow the verse. Well, let's talk about that distinction here by talking about Stephanus. Stephanus uh, was the first one to publish a Bible, a Greek New Testament in this case, with the verse numbers in it. And that was back in 1555. And when he came out with his Greek New Testament, it had numbers. And that was very important in terms of being able to find a verse. We talk about turning to 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 10. Uh, we had already had chapters all the way back to Langton, the Archbishop of Canterbury in 1727, uh, at least in the... Um, uh, Scriptures dividing him into chapters, and it was popularized in the Wycliffe Bible uh, back in the 14th uh, century. But we have now in 1555, and you can think about the time we were in at that particular time in history, and we have now verse numbers. Well, sometimes those verse numbers don't come at a great time here. As a matter of fact, or in a great place, I should say, uh, as you'll see here, uh, and remembering our context, if you go back, let's look back at it real quick. If you go back to where we've been, we're talking about all these Old Testament examples, and we have here about the uh, people, especially those, it's looking back, the antecedent to that pronoun there is dealing with all these Old Testament folks who had indulged in the flesh and defiling passions and despised authority. All that refers back up to where he'd been. And now he's going to talk about bold and willful they, and the they here starts to talk about the current false teachers of the day. So that really does come at a bad spot. That's why we're only going to deal with half of verse 10 right now. And uh, Stephanus can only be... Um, you know, uh, expected to get the verse divisions in a good place in 99% uh, of the places, and sometimes they don't come in a good place. I don't know, I've never done the statistics, but it's, uh, I mean, he did a pretty good job. And uh, so we're thankful to him. Actually, the chapter divisions sometimes come in bad spots, but nevertheless, enough of that. We've only dealt with that for the last five, 600 years of the church. Let's deal with what we're talking about here, in, in, uh, and we'll really only deal with the second, uh, or the first half, rather, of this passage. But I want to talk here about those, as he looks back, and certainly it applies to the present, but those who indulge in lust. That word lust is really... Um, a word, I mean, when we translate it that way, epithumia is the Greek word, we um, are usually referring to it in a bad sense. But there are passages in the scripture, for instance, this one in 1 Timothy, where we know that the desire itself, uh, the strong passion, the strong, and that's a good word, passion, we use that passion both in a positive and a negative sense, probably today more in a positive sense. But here's a passage in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3 about uh, same word epithemia, desire to be in the office of overseer, to be a pastor, uh, an elder, an overseer. That is a uh, noble task that he is epithemying, he's desiring. So uh, we've got to define it by the context. And in this case, of course, we're talking about something that is defiling. 
let's look at that, first of all, just in terms of what it uh, means, in terms of the, the stain. And in the Old Testament, to be ceremonially stained or unclean, that was a really important thing. Even in the New Testament, we see the New Testament leaders here, the Pharisees, as they uh, led Jesus to the house of Caiaphas, uh, and it says they went to the governor's headquarters, uh, when they led him from, I should say, the house of Caiaphas, to the governor's headquarters. And now we've gone from the Jewish leader, Caiaphas, the high priest, to the Roman leaders. It was early in the morning, and they themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not, here's our word, defile themselves so that they could eat the Passover. We're talking about ceremonial uncleanness here, but that obviously is the picture of the ceremonies looking at something more significant, right? And as Jesus made very clear, he came to fulfill all those ceremonial laws, as with the book of Hebrews, the book of Galatians, is all about. And uh, all of those things, as we use that word to talk about being stained or unclean, uh, what we're really dealing with and what's of concern, the moral law of the Old Testament that is obviously all reaffirmed in the New Testament, has to do with um, uh, moral issues of, of sin. And here it speaks of Jesus in Hebrews chapter 7. It says, it is indeed fitting, it was indeed fitting, that uh, we should have such a high priest, speaking of Christ, of course, he's holy, right, morally perfect, innocent. And, and here's the word right here. Same word, uh, only with a negation in front of it, unstained. Uh, he's not unclean. He's uh, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. So uh, we're dealing with, obviously in this passage, desires to do something sinful, something that would stain us morally before God. And then this particular word here, passion. First uh, Timothy chapter, I'm sorry, First Peter chapter two talked about passion, and this really is the word sarke or flesh, uh, is reminding us that there are earthly or base or um, earthbound kinds of, of uh, desires that we have that are not neutral. There are things that are going to lead us into staining ourselves morally, and he talks about the fact that that is going to be, and here's the same word by the way, epithemia here of the same word translated passion here, flesh. And you know we're dealing with English, so it's hard to see all this. But the idea here of you have to abstain, we have to fight uh, the passions of the flesh, right? These are the desires of the flesh, which he makes very clear in our passage. These are staining, defiling. Uh, we're talking about the bad desires that wage war against your soul. We got to keep our conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that helps define what we're talking about here. It's not just about eating lunch today if you're hungry. Um, so that they who speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds. It's the opposite of fulfilling all the desires of the flesh and glorifying God on the day of visitation. So if you took a night's sleep, that would fulfill your desires of your flesh. If you had lunch, that would fulfill the desires of your flesh. But we're not talking about those. We're talking about things that are dishonorable, things that are evil, things that are the opposite of good deeds. And so in this passage, we're talking about the strong desires that you have that are fleshly, doesn't mean that every fleshly desire is a bad desire. It just means it's going to be one that defiles you, that stains you morally before God. And those are clear. Our conscience bears witness to that. The scripture bears witness to that. And so we understand what we're dealing with here. And that is the defiling of our relationship with God, our sanctification, falling into sin in a way that defiles our flesh. And the whole point is, we're talking about those, the Old Testament examples that obviously are going to be paralleled to the New Testament false teachers that Peter's concerned about. Now, they don't just fall into it, as I just said, talking about the Christian life. Look at this phrase here. They indulge in it. 
which again is another interesting uh, translation of the Greek sentence here. It has to do with to follow after, to chase after, to go after. It's a stronger word than stumbling or falling. It's the word of, of going after, indulging in it. Uh, it's a decent translation with the idea of something where you're, you're, you're chasing after it. Matter of fact, over here in Jude, which is obviously a parallel letter in many ways because it talks about the false teachers of the first century, it talks about they, these false teachers of the day, uh, walking in the way of Cain. And I talk about that word a lot, peripateo in Greek, the idea of just your course of life. But then it adds to, it says, and they abandon themselves. And this Greek word here, the idea of abandoning yourself, has to do with, uh, it's usually translated, um, Echeo is translated to pour out, I mean, to dump it out, to, to fall into it, not fall into it, to, to pour into it. You're going to go after it. And they're going after what? They're going after the, the gain of Balaam's error, trying to get money out of uh, their teaching. I'm going to teach this way so that I can get money, but I'm giving myself over. I'm pouring myself into uh, this desire for money in that case, and greed. And then they perished in Korah's rebellion. And you can see both of these themes in Second Peter, obviously, the false teachers motivated by money, as we see in our passage. We've set, seen it um, here throughout, things that would indulge the desires of the flesh that go with that money. And then here you can see defiling or despising authority, rather, which again has to do with Korah's rebellion back there in the Old Testament, the book of Numbers, uh, when they rebelled against Moses' leadership. But I just want to make the point in this passage is this has to do with a, a running into, a KO, to, to, to dive into, to, to, to pour myself into, to, to go after. And that's the sign of the false teachers. These, those in the passage that reflect the Old Testament examples of the sinning angels or the people in Noah's day or the people in Sodom and Gomorrah, they just ran after it. They went after it. Now, when you talk about that concept of run, I don't want to be silly here, but, uh, and again, maybe this dates me in terms of my generation, but the idea of watching uh, Wild E. Coyote go after the roadrunner, you always picture him running, which of course, he was always running, trying to catch him, sometimes strapping himself to a rocket or whatever to catch the roadrunner. never successfully in the cartoon. But there was always something he did before he went to run. And it's captured so well in those cartoons. Uh, let me give it to you right here. He, he gets himself ready to go. He, he kicks up his, his uh, foot like a baseball pitcher. He gets his elbow up high. And, and this picture right here of saying, I want to go here, and I'm not just being dragged into it, Right? It's not like the fleshly desires are pulling me there. It's like I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready to go. I'm raising up and I'm ready to launch into it. That picture I think is so helpful. Look at this text here in Numbers. That's the imagery used in the Old Testament in distinguishing two kinds of sin. The kind, and we use this word in ways that I think is less than what it's meant to be here. It talks about those. Uh, you should have one law for him who does anything unintentionally. You didn't sit down and plan it and drive into it, pour yourself into it. For him who is native among the people of Israel or the stranger, the sojourns among them. But the person who does anything, look at this phrase here, with a high hand, whether he's a native or a sojourner, reviles the Lord. I mean, you're just picking up your hand and you're doing it. Now, there's a sense in which you pick up your hand and you do that thing. And I can't get, by the way, in my mind, away from this childhood picture of the high-handed, I'm ready to run into this thing. That's the difference. The false teachers, both of the Old Testament examples and the New Testament realities, are those that have that high-handed driving into uh, sin. High-handed, 
And it says, because they've despised the word of the Lord. They didn't just stumble and, and, and what we would say unintentionally stumble into sin. They just said how, they, they crafted, they, as David said, he, uh, they, there are those who ponder wicked on their beds. They're figuring out how to do this. And that's the, that's the uh, characterization of these uh, who are high-handed in their sin. They indulge in the lust of the flesh. And this is all we'll get today, but this bottom phrase here, and they despise authority. That word despise, I talk about it a lot whenever I'm in Hebrews chapter 12, kata phreneo, kata phreneo. Kata means down, phreneo, to think or to ponder. And it's used here when Jesus uh, is our great example of despising the shame of the cross. He endured the cross, hupomene, hung in there and did what he should do. And he was kata phreneoing the shame of it. Right? He's going to be naked, hanging on a Roman execution rack. And God, of course, rewarded that, seating him at the right hand of the throne of God. At least that's the, the crown after the cross. But we're to look to him as our example, cataphraneoing the shame. So despising something is something that's here that you know is a reality, like how shameful dying on a cross is, and thinking less of it, looking down on it, considering it a small thing when it's really a big thing. And that's the idea here of authority which that word, by the way, is the word Lord, Lordship, um, the idea of despising lords, uh, the people that have authority in the world. He's going to go on to talk about blaspheming the glorious ones, and that's angels, and we'll get to that tomorrow. Um, but the idea of our text is saying you've got people that have authority in this life and in people, and they, they think less of it. They've caught a freneo, that authority. Uh, and that's never a good thing. Matter of fact, a sign of godliness in Peter's first epistle is always to, uh, hupotasso, to put myself under in a willing way, the submission, to subject myself for the Lord's sake. I'm doing this for God, to every human institution, whether it's the emperor, who was Nero at that point, a terrible leader morally, as supreme, he's the supreme leader of the Roman Empire, or governors sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this, what is it? Subjecting myself to human institutions. It says, is the will of God that by doing good, that's the good of submitting myself to authority, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people who are always ripping on Christians. As Proverbs says in the Old Testament, he says, my son, fear the Lord. That's what we're doing for the Lord's sake. Fear the Lord and the king as imperfect as the king was, whoever that might be in Solomon's day. And Solomon was imperfect as we're reading in our DBR and our daily Bible reading. And he says, and do not join with those who do otherwise. In other words, we've got to be with people who recognize the importance of authority, earthly authority. And that's one of the marks of the false teachers. These people are those who run into, they indulge in the kinds of things that make them satisfy their sinful desires. It defiles them, their passions, and they defy, despise authority. And that is the sign of all these Old Testament examples. He's then going to look to the New Testament uh, false teachers in the present era, in the first century, and he's going to go on to talk more about who they are. So I hope this is helpful and a little bit insightful. And we went a few layers deep on some language issues uh, and even whatever, a couple other things, and, but I threw in a cartoon in there. So maybe that uh, helps to balance it all out. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe. We'll be back tomorrow with more on Second Peter.